0: You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network, as we welcome back for another year, Oscar month, or Oscar couple of days, really, because it's like Oscar week and a half in the lead up to the Oscars. Funnily enough, the 2020 Oscars, it's that time again, it's exciting, and we're here to bring you our first spoiler-free review of a movie that was nominated for best cinema oh sorry best picture right we're doing best cinematography later (laughs) on okay understand that uh before we get into the swing of things though friendly reminder make sure you subscribe to us on all the relevant podcast channels we're on apple podcast spotify stitcher google podcast and you can also like us on social media because we both on this episode need to be liked because our significant others don't like us, they try and kill us by putting the car into reverse, or <laughs> something along those lines. Uh, we're here today to review The Irishman, the Martin Scorsese 27 and a half hour epic that is, um, it's long, it's got Robert De Niro in it, and Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci, and Bobby Cannavale, and Ed, Ed Romano, who's that? Ray Romano. <laughs> Um, It's been like two years since I've seen this movie, people I only just finished watching it the other day So, uh, yeah, plenty to talk about on uh, this very interesting movie My name is Ben, and I paint
1: houses And my name is... You'll have to wait three and a half hours for me to get to the point (laughs) But trust me, it'll pay off Uh,
0: The Irishman Um, I mean, this is... Absolute award bait, is it not? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. It, it's all here, basically. Uh, this may as well just be called Nominate Us for Awardsman. Um But uh, yeah, this has been out for a couple of months. It's had a lot of talk, a lot of bars, a lot of people really like it. A lot of people have been very positive on it. Martin Scorsese. I mean, this man can write a grocery list and it will probably get nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, Al Pacino coming out of retirement to act in this film, and it's a movie that I'm going to be completely honest with you. I didn't know any of the history about it that it's been in development hell for a long time. I had no clue going into it that this is loosely based on true true events, um, and all that. I just thought it was just a gangster movie. I didn't realize it was like, oh, I've I've heard of some of these people before, right? Like this is are these real people. Um, but and we should mention a Netflix film, a couple of Netflix films, obviously nominated this year uh, to come off the back of what we had last year as well. So yeah, The Irishman, Colin. Have you recovered from losing about a quarter of your life watching this movie?
1: <laughs> it it honestly feels like I lost a quarter of my life watching this because um, I'm kind of with you. I didn't know anything about this going in other than that Scorsese had been reteaming with De Niro and Pacino and in- pesci i don't know if he'd ever made a movie with pacino before but he you know de niro and pacino had made movies so it was like the basically let's put everybody who's famous for anything gangster Hmm. in one movie and let's throw in ed or ray romano depending on (laughs) which showed up on set that day (laughs) uh and you know let's make like the ultimate gangster movie and that's that's all i knew about it so it wasn't honestly until i started watching the movie that i realized like jimmy hoffa connection and stuff like that and as you said loosely based or, or based on one man's claims of real events or things like that. So um, as far as watching this, though, I mean, aside from the fact that it is a very long three and a half hours, uh, it was probably on Netflix for only two or three days before I started watching this. You know, I, I was, started watching it before bed one day, got maybe 20 minutes in, you know, the next night, watch it for another 20 minutes. I mean, this took me probably a week and a half to get through the movie every single night before bed, <laughs> uh, which I don't know if that made it feel longer or shorter for me, because you don't have to sit there in one shot, but it was almost like, how much more of the stories are left to tell? I've been watching this for a week and a half. So uh, the the length is definitely one of the um, detractors of this movie. Um, I'm going to be honest, there are others. I have a lot of strong opinions on this movie. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. I feel like this is what Vice was to me last year. It's like, I can see some good things in here, but man, the reputation of this movie, I just feel like, for me personally, it's really overrated.
0: Yeah, I, I might be a little bit more positive on it than that, but I mean, look, I'm i am just going to say this now, I'm probably going to repeat this through every single one of our recaps in the coming days. I've already watched all the films, so uh, I'm in that unique position that I can basically compare this now to all the other eight Best Picture films. Um, and this was the very first one I watched, <laughs> because again, it took me like 18 years to get through it. Yeah. but. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I think kind of just initial opinions for me is that I didn't hate this film, I didn't love this film. It was fine. Um, it just it is the the length really does take away because like I I find I found myself at the very beginning actually really enjoying it. I'm like, okay, this is actually pretty interesting. Like they're setting this up quite well, and then you kind of do hit about a, a hump maybe like an hour and a half into it. Uh, once you've got through the opening credits, and you're kind of like, oh um this is getting a bit boring uh this is dragging on a little bit and then something will happen you're like okay my uh, interest is perked up a little bit oh okay it's still going yep Uh, oh yep cool let's oh there's anna paquin there she is yeah Um. (laughs) i was gonna say (laughs) the whole time i'm like is it anna paquin in this movie Um, (laughs) oh there she is oh she's still not talking okay (laughs) <laughs> no, there she's again oh no, still not talking, all right. It's kinda of like the opposite of Bobby Cannavale. like there he is at the beginning and then he just disappears. Well, thanks, Bobby. And he's got like what, fifth star billing in this movie or something like that. But yeah, um yeah, I can kinda of see the comparisons of vice. I, I I probably enjoyed Vice more than this, but um yeah, I, I just found it fascinating as soon as I realised that it was based on real people or, you know, Jimmy Hoffa and people like that I'm like, oh, i've heard of him I've, you know i know that person and obviously i don't know the history of kind of everything about him but um yeah it's kind of it's it's interesting to see through um everything that happens in this movie but would you would you say that as beautiful as uniquely made as this movie is because i think it's it's also very well made in the fact that it takes advantage of de-aging and some, it's one of these ones that i didn't really notice it as much as some of the other movies that we've seen with de-aging and i don't know if that's uh uh something that you believe in as well but um i think this is to me the majority of our best picture nominations this year uh, are all based around really strong acting and i think mm-hmm. that this is one of them you know i mean we've obviously got a few that are going to stand out of the best picture nominations that are far more than just simply acting but you know, I, I think this is really a heavy acting year when it comes to these best picture films. And this clearly, you know, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino in particular, and Joe Pesci, I shouldn't take away from Joe Pesci, um, just they all put in very strong performances to at least carry this film to be somewhat watchable.
1: See, I don't know if this is where we're going to disagree, because um, I completely agree with you. I think Al Pacino especially, this is like the greatest performance he's had in, in decades. It's it's phenomenal. Uh, and Joe Pesci, it's it's unlike anything you've seen Joe Pesci do before. I mean, this is such a subdued, very subtle performance for him that you almost wouldn't realize it is Joe Pesci. It's Robert De Niro I actually have a problem. And I, I, De Niro didn't get a Best Actor nomination, did he? No, he didn't. Yeah, which I agree with not giving him a Best Actor nomination. Again, I'm a huge Robert De Niro fan. Like, I'll see anything he's in. But for me, this was like the most, you know, phoned in performance he's ever done. So much... So that, I mean, the movie is called The Irishman, but yet 99% of the characters in this movie are Italian. Robert De Niro is playing the only non-Italian character in this movie. And I don't know why for the life of me, he is doing the most Italian accent he has <laughs> ever done in his life. <laughs> more, He sounds more Italian than when he didn't speak a line of English dialogue when he spoke an entire movie of dialogue in Italian in The Godfather 2. And yet... He's supposed to be playing the only Irishman. And then there's there's just other things here. Like, I don't know, I think the de-aging technology looks incredible on Joe Pesci. It looks incredible on Al Pacino. With De Niro, there's just times. Maybe it's because the era that they're trying to, you know, make De Niro look, the age they're trying to make him look. It's you're familiar with so many of his movies from that time period. Because De Niro's never gone away. He's always been mainstream. You know, was Al Pacino twenty, you know, twenty-five years ago. Was probably you know, not quite in in the prime of his career. He wasn't always in the public eye. De Niro was like two three movies a year. That it just it never looked like Robert De Niro to me, and I think that's where the D H G stuff doesn't work on him. And the other thing is the decision to put him in these really really bad fake looking blue contacts. Just to, as the only thing they could do to sell the fact that he's the only Irish character in this movie, because he's speaking more Italian than the Italian characters. <laughs> uh, and there's nothing I hate more than fake looking contacts that change a person's eye color. And it just it doesn't look real. You know, it's not just knowing what Robert De Niro looks like it doesn't look real. It just feels like this is the only way we can tell you this guy's supposed to be different, you know, from the rest of the Italian cast members of this movie. Um and what he brings to this movie, I mean, I give him credit that he's he's all over this movie. I mean, it must have been exhausting because he is on screen almost every single scene in this three and a half hours. That probably doesn't even cover all the deleted scenes. But there wasn't one moment where I just felt like I'm seeing Robert De Niro really make a character come alive. I just felt like I'm seeing Robert De Niro play a role in a movie and constantly being overshadowed by the other actors around him. I definitely
0: don't disagree that he's overshadowed by the other actors around him. I mean, God, it took me actually. I realized it was Joe Pesci, but then at the same time, I didn't because I'm thinking like, this is a guy who's like, okay, 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 okay. you know, like just that's Joe Pesci to me. Because yeah. what have I seen him in? Home Alone. I've seen him in the Lethal Weapon movies. That's what I've seen mm-hmm. Joe Pesci in. So to me, this is a like, holy crap! Like, wow, that's 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 crazy. And Al Pacino. I mean he's a, he's a chameleon in this movie because like after what one scene with him you barely even recognize him. Uh mm-hmm. I think he just he's just so good. But the thing that I r- would disagree with you though on Robert De Niro is that I can see why you say it seems like he phones it in, but to me that's that's the character. Like he's kind of just this very calm, level-headed man who sort of just goes along with the flow of hey, I'm going to go and do this for this person, this for that person and kind of never questions it. And then sort of towards the film when all the conflict comes about about making his decisions and everything, to me, that's just that's just him. He's just one of those real calm, level-headed people. And that's what I really appreciate about his performance is just, I think that he just he just maintains that throughout the whole movie. And, yeah, again, as I said, absolutely can see why you would assume he's phoning it in, but I, I just think he's deliberately being that way to make that character be that way on screen. And, well, I, I probably do agree, though, that he maybe didn't deserve a best best actor nomination purely on the fact that yes he's overshadowed by stronger performances in this movie and also the actors that did get nominated for best actor with the exception of antonio bandera so i haven't seen pain and glory i think all gave much better performances than robert de niro that deserve their nominations but yeah i just i don't know I, I
1: i really enjoyed him in this
0: film i think he 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 played the character fine to me
1: and there may be something to what you say that that is the point of the character and that makes sense, I think, in a shorter movie. But when you're asking the audience to stick with one character for three and a half hours straight without any deviation, it's not like there are side plots that De Niro is not involved in or even the other characters. That Whenever you know Al Pacino's on screen, it's with Robert De Niro. Whenever Joe Pesci's on screen, it's with Robert De Niro. And when you have to watch somebody that is that subdued, in what's supposed to be this big, incredible gangster story for three and a half hours, I think you need a little bit more life. I think you need a little bit more excitement. You need somebody to show a little bit more emotion. It's an interesting idea for a character, I think, if you had done this as more of a supporting role or if you'd done this in a shorter movie, but for three and a half hours, it's just – I kept waiting for one of these other actors to pop up on screen to kind of wake me up a little bit. I'm not saying I'm bored by Robert De Niro in this, it's just I have seen Robert De Niro in almost everything he's done really make a character unique. And this feels so much like Robert De Niro almost just playing Robert De Niro. And mm. again, I can't get past the fact that, like, why is he in the, have this heavy Italian accent? Like, <laughs> it just it seems lazy on his part. And I don't want to knock him. I just... I. I I just don't feel like he was strong enough, his performance or the character or a combination of both was strong enough to carry a three and a half hour long movie. And as far as the running time goes, this is my other complaint. Like I was telling people day after day I was watching. Yeah, I watched a little bit more of that Irishman. And As soon as I got to the end of the movie, I realized that I feel like this movie, you could cut the first half hour out of the movie, then cut the last half hour of this movie, and you would have a great movie. I feel like it's that first half hour where it's almost a chore to, to, to kind of realize what the point is. You're just seeing guys on a car ride. And then in the end, it's just, you know, uh, a, a lot of talking and they sort of wrapped up the story already. But they're going to continue to go and go and go that I just can't help but, but, but wish that there was some cut out there where the first act and the last act were cut out. and We could just focus on all the middle stuff.
0: My question to you, because I'm going to admit two things here right now which are probably going to shame me as a host of a film podcast and a so-called film expert. I've never seen a Martin Scorsese film until this movie, and I've also never seen a single Godfather film. So is this just a Martin Scorsese slash gangster film trope, though, that movies must be this long to make it a certain tone?
1: Uh I mean the the one that he, as far as gangster movies, the one that he's probably most closely associated with is um uh oh what's the one that's called the Had Joe Pesci and it. Uh, Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Uh Good Goodfellas has been so long since I've seen that movie, I can't remember if that was like, you know, a super long movie or not. But like Gangs of New York, you know, very long movie. Uh, but it's not like it's a Martin Scorsese thing where it has to be. You know, I'm looking at Goodfellas now. Two hours, twenty five minutes. So probably long for a thirty year old movie. But um, also I should say Martin Scorsese. Do you, you know Martin Scorsese wasn't involved with The Godfather? right? Yeah, you know I know that. I mean, thought I okay. that was that was, <laughs> I was like you know, otherwise nobody's listened to this. No, movie no, no. That's more I that's <laughs> more of a
0: a gangster film kind yeah. of. Yeah comparison if anything yeah, yeah and
1: in the in the case of the godfathers I mean that that kind of set the precedent that you know these these have to be big stories but like the godfathers similar to this they take place over the course of years i mean this is a story that starts in the 50s and ends what maybe in the 80s or 90s we don't know uh and that's similar to like the godfather i think the difference is the godfather has so many it's not just one character on one story it's got so much going on that it really it's justified being that length uh Scorsese I mean he's made short movies like to be perfectly honest I sort of I thought I was a bigger Martin Scorsese fan than I was (laughs) (laughs) uh because it was after this movie came out and I kept trying to think like you know I'd rank this maybe on like the lower end of Martin Scorsese movies most people are saying like this is one of his best movies but then I started to think to myself I'm like okay I love Taxi Driver which is you know a regular two hour long movie Love Raging Bull, regular two-hour-long movie. I'm like, what will be my third favorite Martin Scorsese movie? And I thought maybe Casino, another like you know m- mob movie he made, which was three hours long. So I started rewatching Casino after I finished this. And 45 minutes in, I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna give up on this. I don't think I really like this movie. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know if I was remembering this wrong. Uh, and then I, started I get it. They're in a casino.
0: That's all I need to know.
1: Yeah. And really, that is what it is. Uh, and then I th- remember Gangs in New York. He made, like, I don't remember actually loving Gangs in New York other than Daniel Day-Lewis' performance. I remember having issues with that. And uh, The Departed, I think that's the one he made that was more regular runtime. And I feel like that's his gangster masterpiece. Uh, but then other ones he made, like The Aviator. You know, Aviator, I thought was a great movie, not perfect um shutter island not a perfect movie hugo couldn't even finish watching it (laughs) just (laughs) visuals nothing else it i started just look back and realize that like most of scorsese's movies i feel are kind of overrated but that's not to say i hate everything he's made because i will say taxi driver and raging bull two of the best movies ever made but i don't know i i considering this movie as you said it was just it sat in development hell for so long it just was was never getting made, and and the lengths he had to go through to make this movie, I expected you know something. Maybe maybe you get the feeling more like you know you've been working on this for years, as opposed to this. To me, it kind of plays out, and by the time it's over, I more felt like, well, this was like he had a great idea and he just shot it and just released it and maybe that's the problem is that he he eventually found you know netflix or a studio that would back him and let him do whatever he wanted but i kind of have this theory that i feel like directors often work better when they are restricted in some way when they do have to worry about pleasing a studio and pleasing you know producers and stuff like that And when they have 100% creative freedom, it doesn't necessarily always come out as the best movie. And, you know, when I look at Scorsese's movies where he has been a little bit more limited, even The Departed, where it was based on, you know, uh, a Hong Kong movie uh, that was incredible. And he had to do that justice because a lot of people are familiar with it. I feel like those movies come out better. But when he's given this massive epic like Gangs of New York or The Irishman that he apparently has been working on for decades. I don't know if it's the fact that he has had decades and he's he's not really um, objective enough to realize what things work and what things don't work, or if it is just complete creative freedom and nobody telling him no when something doesn't work that they just they come out a little bit, you know, tedious.
0: Just quickly looking through his most recent films, I mean, the majority of them are all close to about two and a half hours long, kind of some of the ones you mentioned. Um, The Departed, two and a half hours long. Uh, The Aviator, nearly three hours long. Gangs of New York, nearly three hours long. Um, Silence, that was his last film. Oh, I couldn't finish that one either. (laughs) Couldn't finish that one. Um, Two and a half hours. Wolf of Wall Street, three hours long. Oh, I hated Wolf of Wall Street. I was going to say, wasn't there one you hated? I remember looking through that list, thinking was... I couldn't remember if it was Gangs of New York or Wolf of Wall Street you always hated on.
1: Yeah, no. Gangs of New York, I just feel was overrated. Wolf of Wall Street, I flat out hate.
0: Right. I I remember my parents going to see Gangs of New York and just coming back going, what the hell was that? Like... (laughs) 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 <laughs> that was just stupid, but um, yeah, it's it's funny actually just looking through his filmography, um, because I mean, we're obviously going to be talking about Joker, and that's getting a lot of comparisons to the King of Comedy. <laughs> Um, so kind of, you know, there's some Scorsese, uh, tribute sort of stuff going on in some of this work. And another thing to just back to the acting is that the unique thing about this year as well is we have so many crossover actors appearing in multiple films this year. I yeah. mean, Pacino. you've got, yeah, Bacino is in this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. De Niro is in this and Joker, um, then in other movies, uh, Laura Dern is in Marriage Story and Little Women. You've got Scarlett Johansson in both Jojo Rabbit and Marriage Story. So that's a very unique thing happening. And, of course, who can forget Leonardo DiCaprio in Parasite? Like, wow, he really does a good Korean accent in that, <laughs> uh, Leo. So i uh, robbed of an Oscar nomination. So Ray, Ray Romano and Anna Paquin are... Sure, and something. <laughs> they're two dead soldiers in 1917. They're blinking, you miss it, but you see them. They're there. Um, and and my God, Joe Pesci playing a Ferrari, role oh, of his yeah. life, like absolutely amazing. Uh, really smart to take that one up. Um, but on the acting side of things, outside of our main group, uh, it is very weird to kind of see like Harvey Keitel, Anna Paquin, uh, Bobby Cannavali, yeah. Ray Ed Romano. Um, but <laughs> they just. It's just strange that this movie goes for so long and so many of them just kind of pop in and out without really being there after one... It's glorified
1: cameos.
0: I know, it really is. And because a a movie like this, I'm expecting them to kind of go out in a blaze of glory and without going into spoilers about who dies and who doesn't, I probably can't even remember. I mean, God, this movie's so (laughs) long. Um, Well, because we're still not at the end of it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't don't even know what happened. I'm still trying to digest finishing it 10 minutes ago. But... um, I mean, can you even talk about any of the other actors in this movie? Because as you said, they really are just glorified cameos.
1: Yeah, and I didn't know uh, all the other actors that were going to pop in this movie. I may have heard it like months before this movie came out. So it was sort of as it was going on, I'm like, you know, oh, there's Ray Romano. And and with Anna Paquin especially, it took me two or three scenes to realize I think that might be Anna Paquin and that I had to kind of (laughs) Google it. Because like you said, she's there in the background and doesn't speak. And you wonder... If you're going to go to the lengths to get a character like this if for a true cameo, if this was a true cameo, you want to have the surprise of a big-name actor like this coming in and just having, like, one really dynamite scene. And these actors, it's not like they even have a lot to work with. It's almost like it's like the, the Star Wars thing where, where these big actors are like, please let me be a stormtrooper. And they're like, okay, we'll give you a cameo, but we don't want you to distract the audience. It almost feels more distracting because you're like – Come on, Anna Packwood, say something! <laughs> <laughs> and it just never happens. And you wonder why go to the links to bring in a big name and really not use them. It's it's like Pluto Nash. Like
0: say something funny. Like Anna Packwood, be be funny. D- Get your Oscar and act. <laughs> like <laughs> do something. Um, and of course Jesse Plemons is in this movie too. Um, um just I will briefly.
1: Say, I, I loved him in it.
0: Yeah. I love Jesse Plemons. He's, you know, um, just put on a bit of weight, but we went over that in uh, the El Camino last year. But hey, good for him. He's enjoyed eating some food. But I mean, look, I love, I get excited whenever Bobby Cannavale is in something, the Third Watch Connection, of course. But um, I mean, he kind of is that type of actor who does suit a role in a gangster movie. Like he kind of can really pull that off. And Ray Romano, like all jokes aside, this guy can act like people who don't think Ray Romano can act or is just associated with everybody loves Raymond. I mean, he was really good in that. um, Oh, what was that? That romantic comedy a couple of years ago where he was like the dad of the girl who was in a coma. Um, Oh, big sick. Yeah. Yeah. The big sick. Yeah. Yeah. He was really good in that. And there was lots of talk about him getting possibly nominated for an Oscar from that movie. And I mean, the brief time he's in this film, Really good. Like I know, I, I love seeing actors who are so associated with a certain genre or you know this type of role, just transforming them. I think I think he was so good in this movie Ray Romano, and he's just such a good actor.
1: I mean, he's he's up there with Ed Romano. I mean, I, it's a fight for who in the family <laughs> is going to be the, the star to come out on. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about is, like you said, I, the 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 Jimmy Hoffa thing. I mean, this really hmm. is. I wouldn't go as far as to say this is a Jimmy Hoffa movie, but the entire story revolves around this real historical figure and the events surrounding his, you know, disappearance, death, whatever. Well, they could really only say disappearance because they never found Jimmy Hoffa. Um, hmm. This isn't something that I was really familiar Because it was sort of, you know, before both of our time, I think we're both in the same boat. Where, like, we've heard of Jimmy Hoffa. We know there was, like, a disappearance. We know he was a union boss. Didn't really know anything else. That's the part of the story where I... Was way more interested, and if, if I am knocking De Niro for either the performance or the character, maybe it just has to do with the fact that I found this Jimmy Hoffa story way more interesting. That I spent a lot of time just sort of googling every time a new scene would come up. I'm like, oh wait, so this actually kind of ties into this, you know, this real part here, and they're using real news reports and everything. And you know, Al Pacino you know, obviously goes to great lengths to, as you said, become a different character, so you're not distracted by him being Al Pacino. But just that entire story, I mean i I wanted to know more of that maybe I'll go out of the way and watch the Hoffa movie now, uh, but that that just felt like that was the most interesting part, but it's the I guess we don't want to give away any spoilers, but essentially, this story, this book or whatever, is based on an account of a guy who claims you know he is tied to or or knows about what happened with Jimmy Hoffa, and this movie sort of plays out the scenario of what this guy claimed. Which really the only other movie I could think of like this where they actually went to the effort to make a movie based on an uncorroborated story was uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Did you ever see that one?
0: No, but I've heard of it.
1: Yeah. Sam Rockwell plays Chuck Barris, who was the game show host of The, the Gong Show. Right. Who claimed in a book that he, while hosting The Gong Show, worked as an operative for the CIA. And they made that into a movie, even though most people were like, this probably is a completely made up story. But I, I actually found that kind of a fascinating idea. And I, we're going to get into this a little bit more, you know, throughout the uh, the other movies that we're going to cover before the Oscars. This idea of uh, whether you want to call it revisionist history or uncorroborated history that we're getting to see stories where instead of saying, well, if we don't know this is a fact, let's not do it. It's like, this is a movie. Let's tell this, even if it's not a 100% true story. It's an interesting story, so let's play it out.
0: Yeah, um, I was the same as you. I Googled a lot and read a little bit about Jimmy Hoffer, because there's a movie or a TV show where there's like some line where they'd mention Jimmy Hoffa, and that just reminded me of that. And I just have not... I can't remember what movie it was. It was just some, like, little throwaway one-liner about Jimmy Hoffa. So that's where I, like, knew it from and kind of had heard other things along the way. But, I mean, I yeah, I enjoyed all that stuff, like the the Kennedy connections that you kind of learn about throughout this movie and, mm-hmm. you know, just how big of a deal he was, like that he was what, basically going to be running for president and kind of all these sort of things, too. I found it very interesting um, along the way. And, yeah, I, I, I really you know, as you're saying, kind of this disappearance of him that's never really been confirmed that he was killed or whatever, just kind of this movie's take on it is is very unique. So yeah, and I mean that's exactly right. So many so many films are connected. It's the Oscar best picture cinematic universe apparently this year. Uh, because yeah, there are there are a few films where it is just real revisionist history and it's done very well. Um, so yeah. And Which one we, thing
1: you know I was just gonna say we got into that a little bit last year you know, you could say Vice and The Favourite both were playing with history but putting their own spin on it. So this this is a new trend that's that kind of loosely crept in last year and now it's very prominent.
0: Well, it's actually, I mean, it's it's movies, so I think this is also a reflection on how movies are today, is that if you look at all the Best Picture nominations, are only two of these basically original stories that aren't you know, based on a true story or based on previously, like, comic yeah. or things like that. So, like, Parasite and Marriage Story, are these the only mm-hmm. two that are just purely original stories? Because four vs. Ferrari, based on real events. The Irishman, based on real events. Jojo Rabbit, based on the war. *A uh, Joker, a comic book. <laughs> Little Women, it's, it's a famous novel that's just been remade again, 1917, based on the war. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, based on, you know, the classic age of Hollywood and Sharon Tate and all that kind of thing. So, it's kind of, it's... To me, like, it's it's a very interesting year that, you know, seven out of nine of these... Are, and But again, that is Hollywood,
1: though. Like, that's not... You know always... But, yeah, it, yeah, that's like, what I, we generally have. I, I, I kind of get really annoyed when people say there's no original ideas left in movies... Because if you go back and watch movies from the 30s and 40s, they were all adapted from books. And we're talking like very famous books. I mean, Gone with the Wind was the most famous book there was. So when people say there's no original ideas and then they'll run down what the greatest movies ever made are. And they're mentioning things like The Godfather based on a book. Gone with the Wind based on a book. Star Wars original idea, but based on, you know, Kurosawa movies combined with all this other stuff. There never really has been. It's always just about putting different spins on it. One one thing I just
0: want to quickly mention, and we can kind of go through the nominations this movie got and kind of chances and all that sort of stuff like we do each year, but um, one thing I really appreciate about this film about the way it was made is kind of the realism of some of the scenes, particularly when it comes to, like, the the murder scenes. It's a gangster film. You know people are going to get killed in this movie because they're just... To me, what makes a scene like that more realistic is that when it just just comes out of nowhere, it's shocking and it's just done in such a way where you don't glorify a person getting shot and you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of... It's done in a way that you assume is very realistic because I've never seen someone get shot before. But it's just... It's done in a way that it kind of affects you because you kind of take a bit of a... You're kind of shocked. It's like when we get to Joker we're going to know particularly, you know, like at least one or two scenes where it's like that. Um, And I I feel that this movie did that very well. So when we actually get those scenes like that and that, that kept me interested because a lot Mm -hmm. of these scenes would just kind of come out of nowhere. Like there wasn't a massive build up to it. It just happened. It was done with and let's move on.
1: Yeah. See, now we're talking about the stuff I enjoyed in the movie, (laughs) (laughs) which I, I, I completely agree with you. I think what, when I look back on this movie 10 years from now, and I've probably forgotten most of the stuff about it, you know, I'm going to remember a lot of the little scenes with Al Pacino. Uh, I'm going to remember those scenes of violence because it is very similar to Joker – Funny enough, we kind of touched on this in our uh, best of the decade episode when I was talking about uh, John Wick that, you know, John Wick in a completely different way, presenting violence in an entertainment way where you're like, oh, can you believe that that horse just kicked the guy in teeth? You know, mm. <laughs> things that you, you just wouldn't expect to see. They're presenting violence instead of just punch and shoot with a bullet and an explosion. Let's present a punch in a different way. Let's 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 knock a guy out with an unusual object and there's entertainment value in that. And then you have the flip side of it, which is Joker and Irishman. And I, I loved some of the, the kills we get in this movie, not in the same way that I you know, love John Wick, where you kind of almost chuckle a little bit, but just because it catches you off guard. And I think that's, again, another trend we can look at is just the strength of, you know what, violence doesn't have the same impact anymore. So whether you are going for entertainment or you're going for shock value – just find little subtle things you could do to present it visually differently or just the timing and the editing, just the way that somebody walks in a scene and in some cases, the way that, I'll, here I'll give some credit to De Niro for the same things I was taking away from him for for some of the dialogue scenes, just his lack of you know caring, his his phoning it in, that actually lends itself well to some of these scenes of violence. Were there any other bits that you enjoyed about this movie
0: that you want to quickly talk about at all?
1: Uh no. No. I, all right. There there were plenty, but uh again, I'm not saying I hated this movie, but even if I talk about the good things about this movie, we'll be here for three and a half hours. So we're gonna have to cut it somewhere. <laughs> that one scene with the
0: dog was Watermelon. Great. The watermelon. Water- <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I remember watermelon. That was funny. Um ten nominations this movie got the second most amount equal with nineteen seventeen and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, So Best Picture, Best Director, two in the Best Supporting Actor category, Best Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, Production Design, Costume Design, Film Editing, and Visual Effects. And just going through the odds, this is not favoured to win in any of the categories. Uh, But you kind of pointed out last year, and I think the year before, that a lot of the time they try and, you know, each of the Best Pitch nominees will try and get an award in one of the categories it's nominated for what do you think it has a chance in? I'm just going to say right now that it has no chance in cinematography. That that category is a lock for 1917. I don't think we're going to debate that at all. That will win Best Cinema. I will bet anything on that winning that. But <laughs> outside of that, um, what do you think this has any chance of winning?
1: Uh, again, I haven't seen all the best pictures. Uh, I think I've, I've seen about four of them. So I can't compare, you know... Uh, what i've seen on screen for a lot of these categories but i feel like just the fact that we've gone so long without seeing al pacino in a major movie and that he made such an impact really there's no reason that even al pacino should show up in a movie and take that much attention away from de niro and especially joe pesci who's even rarer to see in movies and just the the amount of praise there's been for pacino um if there's anything that it might sneak away with, it might be supporting actor for Pacino, but I still don't really see that as a possibility.
0: I think that it's best chances are probably going to be in best adapted screenplay or production design. Um, The, the absolute, there was some good
1: house painting in this. There really
0: was. Um, But I mean, best adapted screenplay, the favorite is supposedly little women. Ugh. Um, followed by the Irishman. So, please, the Irishman beat Little Women. Uh, that sounded a bit wrong, didn't it? Irishman beating Little Women. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not touching that one. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, I I don't... I, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci being up against each other is tricky. I think Brad Pitt's a lock in that category. Um so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel this could go without an award, which would be crazy to think that it's, it's 10 nominations. What What is the most nominations for never winning an award? Wasn't there one we talked about last year that got about 10 nominations and didn't win an award?
1: I thought it might have been Gangs of New York because I know that Scorsese, that's like, that's his curse that he, outside of The Departed, he had never won director before. But if you actually look back on his movies, his movies are always nominated for a ton of awards and maybe they'll walk away with one, like De Niro won for Best Actor for Raging Bull. Uh, and, uh, Kate Blanchett won for the aviator, but it's a very common thing, especially with Scorsese movies to always have 10, 12 nominations and literally with leave with nothing. I wouldn't be surprised if Gangs of New York was the one that held that record. It is not. Uh, there
0: are two movies that both received 11 and did not win a single one. They were Turning Point in 1977, starring Shirley MacLaine and Anne Bancroft. And The Colour Purple didn't win an Oscar. Wow. Um, eleven. Nominated- How
1: many did Gangs in New York have?
0: Uh, that had a grand total of the nominations that equal the number of <laughs> um, uh, nine, if oh, okay. I so up
1: correctly. Still.
0: Yeah. But I can't believe The Color Purple didn't wear. My mum, that was my mum's favourite movie. And she's always going about how good of a movie that was. Never seen it. But anyway. Um, our rating.
1: Uh, are we buying this? Renting it? Or binning it? Yeah, I, th- There were times where I would consider binning this movie just because I really feel like it, it needed to focus more on what was in the middle section of this movie. I can't bin the movie because two and a half out of the three and a half hours are strong they're not incredibly strong but they're strong so this is i think a solid rent it's something that's worthy of netflix it's not something that i feel like is really deserving a lot of the acclaim it's getting
0: though i'd agree completely rent um and i think Again, I'm going to repeat this probably on every single episode we do in the coming days. I think this year is maybe the strongest of the three years that I've seen of all the movies, wherein the fact that really all of them are solid films. Some are great, some are just really good, some are solid, and there's one bad one. Um, but <laughs> um, at least I watched all the movies this year. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a solid rent for me. Uh, it's it's Look, it's a movie that I'm probably never going to watch again, if I'm being completely honest with you. I'll, I'll clear a month. Um, but, yeah. It's, it's fine. It's, <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, our next movie I believe we're doing is another Netflix movie, Marriage Story, starring Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson and Laura Dern and Ray Liotta. And I'm excited. I actually am legitimately excited. I felt like I was underselling that because I really enjoyed Marriage Story. I thought it is – I think it is a really good film, and we talk about strong acting performances – My wordy, Uh,
1: (laughs) there's some good ones in this movie. I think this is the simplest of all the movies that are up this year, and yet there wasn't a moment where I was watching this where I wasn't feeling like this is a completely new type of movie. But it isn't, you know, if if that makes any sense. So uh, this is going to be one of the more interesting ones to discuss because I, I feel like it actually makes you think more than you should considering how simple the story is. And any chance to talk about Adam Driver, I mean, oh. we're going to jump on it. It's, I would rather talk about the marriage story than Rise of Skywalker again.
0: Hands down. Adam Driver, like, my, oh, what a man.
1: <laughs> what a man.
0: It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an entire episode of us going on about how great Adam Driver is and how uh, Ellie Sattler is going to win an Oscar. So... Uh, <laughs> That's basically what it's going to be. But, uh, yeah, in the meantime, um, if you like us, then show it on social media. And you can subscribe, as I mentioned before, on all our podcast channels uh, out there. Leave us some feedback. Let us know what you thought of The Irishman. And stay tuned as we bring you all our coverage of all the Oscar movies coming up. Well, the best picture ones. We're not going to do, like, that documentary from Korea or whatever it was. Um, (coughs) My name is Ben and... Insert a quote
1: here. And my name is Colin. Hope it was worth the wait.
0: Thank you for listening to The Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.